get to going. See, y'all owe me 15 minutes now. (laughs) Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for this day that you've given unto us. It's a day, Lord, that we can truly say that the Lord has created and we shall rejoice in it. It is a day, O God, that you are still Lord and you are on the throne. And we are still here as your people to serve you and to do that, Lord, which you called us to do. And Lord, we want to be your witness. We want to be your priests. We want to be the light of this world and the salt of this world. And we want to be the people, as Paul said, that Lord, that people are able to read our lives. They're able to read the gospel by watching us. For we are your written testimony. We are your written letters as people look into our lives. Let us not be ashamed of any part of our life. Help us to be transparent to a dying world. Help us, Lord, to be able to allow them to see us and who we are in Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us not to be ashamed of anything that we do. For where we are shameful and guilty, and uh, help us, Lord, to get that straightened out with you. That, Lord, my business is the world's business. Anybody can see what's going on in my life. Because what's going on is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want people to see that. And we pray this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will come and minister to us. Take the one who is speaking, set him off to the side. And allow your Holy Spirit to speak to the hearts of the people. And Lord, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think with me for a moment. What is it that devastates friendships, devastates a team? I need to go on. I'm on up here on this one. Just need to get this one now. What is it that devastates? What, what causes a, a group to break apart? What causes us to lose focus of what might be our main goal? What is it that causes other people to feel disgruntled? Or for people to feel they're not important or they're not special? There's nothing wrong, as they would say, be like Mike. But everybody can't be Mike. Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali used to say, I am the greatest. I don't know how many of you remember when Joe Frazier knocked him down. The greatness kind of left for a little bit. The whole issue is, what is it that devastates a team? What is it that destroys a team? What is it that destroys a church? And the uh, apostles were having that problem also. 
And you find that problem also over in Corinthians. And you find that problem, it's just one of those problems that keep on propping up down through the ages. And it's this one little thing. Who's going to be the greatest? People have attitudes. And when people think that you're greater than them, oh boy, we got problems. When people think that you're somebody special by the way you act, and so you got problems. It may not be the real thing, but the assumptions of people are usually considered to be true by them, even though they are false. And the only one who can handle the assumptions of the other person is that person themselves who those assumptions are being placed upon to show in time, and it takes time, that your assumption is wrong. We had a young man yesterday, boy, and he was very strong on his old opinion, and everybody started, boo, 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 and I finally said, well, wait a minute. He has a right to his opinion. And then I looked at him. Your opinion is wrong, however, but you have a right to your opinion. When we see ourselves greater than everybody else, and we can't do this and we can't do that, but somebody else can do it, you got problems. You got problems. What we need to recognize is this here. Those who want to be greater than others must learn to be servants to others. The whole process is that we oftentimes don't want to serve. We want greatness without earning it. We want a lot of respect without earning it. We want to be seen without earning the right to be on the platform. We want to be heard without really earning that right to be heard. And people may say, well, I don't have to do that. In our culture, our society, in our world, that is a fact. You earn privileges. You earn the right to be heard. You earn the right to be highly respected. You earn the right for someone to say, not you, but someone else say, that's a great person. That's a dynamic person. In Corinthians, you kind of see it too, and that's why we have the whole thing about the body of Christ. Because can the hand say to the eye, I'm greater than you? Or can the eye say to the foot, I'm greater than you? No, Uh, it takes all of them for what? For this body to do what? Function. It's not the issue about which one's greater. You may not think your big toe is very important, but you lose it and you'll see how much balance (laughs) you have. The issue with the disciples, 
they were arguing this issue about who's the greatest. One part of the body is not greater than the other. One, part, one person on the team is not really greater than anyone else. I have to admire James in helping to keep that somewhat under control because with all the records that he's setting and all that he does and so forth, how do the other men on the team look at him? But yet, do you understand this? James can't win a championship by himself. So everybody on that team is important. Everybody in their own right, in their own way, is great. And that makes up that team. And it's like that in the church. Everybody in the church is great. There's no lesser. We're all great. We're all important. And yet this argument came up in Luke chapter 9 and 46 and it's over in Mark 9 and over in Matthew also 18. And the issue is his apostles, his disciples are arguing about who's going to be great. And, and, and guess what? When is the one time we really do that, even among ourselves, in family? And sometimes the person even isn't dead yet, and we're fighting about who's going to get the most. And Jesus hasn't left the scene yet. And the issue is who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the spokesman? Who's going to say what we do and what we don't do? And that argument among the twelve, who will be the greatest? Now, in Mark 9.33, the argument starts on the road to Capernaum, and it ends up at the house. Some suggest that this was Peter's house. But these gentlemen were arguing about this for some time. Was it going to be Peter, John, James? Who was it going to be? Andrew? Who? Who was going to be our leader if something happened to Jesus? Who's going to be the greatest one among us if somebody removes him? And this argument had to be for some time, and I imagine it was a heated one. Now imagine it hurt some feelings. Because when people think that they're great, or somebody thinks they deserve a position, it can get quite heated. What about greatness? In this sense, we all want it. I want to be seen as a great father. I want to really be loved by my kids and appreciated by my children. That's not bad. That's a good thing. I want to be seen as a great caring pastor. I don't think that's a bad thing. 
but people are going to see me in all different lights. The other day, James was telling me a, a woman came up to him and said, Hi, Pastor Brown. And he told, I'm not Pastor Brown, but thank you. And she said, You are Pastor Brown. And James said, No, I'm really not Pastor Brown. She said, I know Pastor Brown. You're Pastor Brown. And you're not going to. And finally, he just conceded because the woman was not going to <laughs> back off, you know. And. We all want to be great in people's eyes. But how do we develop that? No one wants to be considered useless or worthless or not part of the team. Neither do people want one person to be seen as the great one and the ruler over them. Or they get more because they are favored by others. Now, there is reasons why in a will it is stated, share and share alike. (laughs) When there's more than one child, usually the lawyer will suggest very strongly... (laughs) That you put it in there, share and share alike. You, you, you don't put in, this child gets 10% of this, or this child gets 30% of this. This child is share and share alike. Because, boy, at that moment when you give somebody else more, the other person feels they've been cheated, lesser, they're not the favorite. And you can divide brothers and sisters very quickly over that issue. So the issue comes out that, yeah, you're going to share and share alike. Now, greatness, the real, real great person, they have this type of makeup. They have this type of charisma. They have this type of ability to somehow make everybody around them feel great and feel important and feel accepted. And that's important. That somehow that the greatness just don't fall upon you and everybody's saying how great you are, but that you're able to make everybody around you feel great and that there's somebody and there's somebody with worth. The real great person is the person who makes every person feel great, feel accepted, feel valued, feel wanted. The other thing about greatness, and this is something that oftentimes people don't want to do, what is the price for greatness? Greatness is the willingness to take on more responsibility than what is just your duty to do. Oftentimes, people just want to go up to the line. I'm doing my job. I'm doing this. The question is, is this. Do you do more than what is required of you? When you begin to do more than what is required of you or more than what is asked of you. 
people see you in a different light. And then they begin to say how valuable you are. How you really function in the team. And they bestow greatness upon you. Because of the responsibilities that you take upon yourself. That in a sense you really don't have to do. But you see it and you do it. When your mind gets stuck on greatness, however, then your mind is still on earthly things. And you're still worldly because, see, you're going to fight about your greatness. You're going to fight about your position. You're going to fight about who you are. You're going to fight about how you're respected. You're going to fight about this and that. And see, again, all of that stuff is earned, in a sense, by the people who are beholding you, who are watching you. And when you decide to argue about it, the only thing you're doing is showing your immaturity and your worldliness. This was an argument of pride. And Jesus recognized that. That this argument was about pride and the love of power. It is not about being first, per se. Because he's going to share with them the difference in the Christian life about being great and the difference in the world's life about being great. And it really boils down to this. The world sets a person up who is great, and then we serve that person. Everything serves that person. And because of the king or the queen or the duke or the royalty of the person or the position of the person or the title of the person, we serve them. And from that position, it's simply a world's position of greatness by how many people serve you and wait upon you and respond to you, whether you are worthy of it or not. There are people in positions who are served who are not worthy of the service that they are really receiving. But they're in that position. And that's the world's greatness. But God's greatness comes from the great individual who simply wants to serve everyone else. And that's the one God sees as great. Not the one being served, but the one who is serving that is great. And this argument simply was about pride and power. Wanting to have something that was not earned or given at that time to them. And they're arguing about it among themselves. Go with me to Luke 7, just straight over from 9, from Luke 9. We're going to come back, but go over to Luke 7 and verse 28. 
He says, I tell you, among those born of woman, there is no one greater than John. Now, what I want you to take note of is this. You can't find anywhere in Scripture where John calls himself what? But who is calling him great now? Jesus. Jesus. It is something that is being bestowed upon him by somebody else, not himself. And he simply said, I tell you, among those born of a woman, there is no one greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. But I want you to take note, who calls him great? Who pronounces the greatness here? Not John. Someone else. Someone else. Greatness gives ground to greaterness. And we need to understand that. It's just a principle in life. You can be highly respected and you can be seen as somebody, but yet there might be somebody else who walks in the room who is what? Greater than you or who have accomplished more than you or more highly respected than you and we need to know how to give ground to that without being embarrassed. I was running a meeting one time at national office, and I'm sitting in the head seat conducting my business and so forth. And then Dr. King came in. Well, Dr. King is the president of the CMA. I was just director over African-American works and field area. And Dr. King had a higher position, a greater position. And for a moment, we stopped our meeting, recognized him, welcomed him, and asked him, is there anything you'd like to say? <laughs> to it? Giving ground to somebody else that is greater. Somebody else with a higher respect. You're recognizing, giving them ground. So in John 3.30, you find this little statement that John the Baptist makes. And he says, he must become greater and I must become less. That Jesus Christ must become greater than I am. And I'm going to hold him up. And I must become less. And it took nothing away from John to be able to say, behold the Lamb of God. It took nothing away from John to say, hey, follow him. It took nothing away from John. And we need to understand that it takes nothing away from us because we give somebody else greater position than ourselves. It takes nothing away from us. Really, it adds to us when we can acknowledge somebody greater than ourselves. 
when we can show respect for somebody who has a higher respect than we do. It doesn't take away from our respect. Greatness does not compare or debate. Have you ever got into an area where you are debating the issue of position or title? When you have to argue with somebody that you're the foreman on the job, you're really not the foreman. If you got to argue with somebody that this is your position, you're not really secure in your position. See, we shouldn't have to argue with people about who I am and my position. Either they will accept it or what? They don't. But it doesn't change my authority over them. You may not want to recognize me as your foreman, but when I write that slip or I call for security to remove you, I don't have to say I'm the foreman. It's done in action. As my kids grew up, there's no use me saying I'm still the parent, I'm still daddy. I understand that faith now is under the authority of Mark. I understand Gus has his own home, and he runs his home. What I have to do is kind of like keep my nose out of what? But none of my kids is crazy enough to disrespect me. I know my position. They know theirs. Faith, yesterday, I said something to Faith. And I said, your mama said. And Faith looked at said, Daddy, mama didn't say that. You're saying that because mama was saying that. <laughs> that they know you. But never get into a battle about greatness. Jesus would not allow that to happen to him. Go to John 4, 12. Look what he says there. Boy, let me get there. And you, are you, and this is the woman at the well, but look at the question she asked him, Jesus. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water. What, what, what didn't he do? He didn't get into a debate with her about his greatness. He didn't get into a debate. You don't know I am the great I am. He didn't get into a debate. You don't understand where I used to sit. I used to sit on high and look low. You really don't know who I am. I'm the one who created everything. And it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be here. He didn't go through that issue. Why? If he answered the question that he would be greater, 
Then Jacob, guess what? Then are you greater than Moses? Are you greater than Abraham? Are you great? And there's no end to it, is it? You're always being challenged with somebody else. If you meet this one, now you've got to go meet this one. If you meet that one, now we've got another one we'll put up. And he wouldn't get caught into that entrapment of trying to describe how great he is. He just went on to his next statement about the water. Changed the conversation completely. Because he wouldn't get stuck in the issue about greatness. And sometimes you and I, we get stuck in the issue about greatness and respect and honor and all this. Don't get caught in them arguments. You know who you are. You know, first of all, you respect yourself. You know how you carry yourself. You know if you're honest or not. You know if you're a person of integrity or not. Jesus teaches his disciples how he sees greatness. Why? Greatness is seen differently by people. Therefore, if you follow him, Greatness is described in this manner. He says, boy, in Luke 9, in verse 48, he, he brings it out this way here. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. But he says, you who will welcome this little child. You know, the children, when I was at Stowe, and, and I just became an elder at Stowe, I was asked to teach the fourth and fifth graders. At first, my pride jumped up. I'm this, I'm that. I'm a skilled tradesman. You know, I've done this, this, and that. And you ask me to teach fourth and fifth graders? You know, that was a learning experience for me that they taught me more than I taught them. (laughs) Understand something. If you can't teach in a way that children understand it, you can't teach adults. You have to really be able to break it down to children. Because sometimes they'll ask them the craziest question. And you think you're prepared, but sometimes with children, you're not prepared. Because they ask those questions that's not in the book. But if you can learn to teach children then you can teach adults. But most of us, because of our pride, we want to start off teaching who? Yeah. I'm an adult. And they're asking me to teach children. They're asking me to work with children. That's a learning area. It shows your creativity because with children, you just can't go in there and lecture. <laughs> you got to be creative. You got to be doing different things. You got to be giving different type of illustrations and so forth. You got to be creative when you teach children. And it challenges us as adults 
to be more than what we are. And he says, if you can humble yourself and receive this child, that's greatness. Because see, what can a child offer an adult? What can a child really do for an adult? Okay. And, and, and that is one. As an adult, it humbles you. Because you have to lose sometime your adulthood or your parental style. And you got to come to a point where you're just playing and teaching and being where they are. Yes, your bones may ache getting in the floor, but you get in the floor. And sometimes you see when I bring the kids up here, it's a thing of sitting right here. Because if we sit here, we're talking how? Yeah. It's not this. I'm up here and they're down here. We're right here with each other. And that's important. You may not recognize it for a child, but at that point, it becomes important to that child. Me and a little guy, we got something going on in, in, in daycare right now. It's the thumb up, and it's, I can do, you know. And boy, he was just a human, you know. And boy, I set him on that step, and I said on that step, he, ah, no, hush it. <coughs> Be quiet. And we're both there together. I'm not going to be way up here over him. That's a different sign. But down here with him. But we're going to get control now. Why? You can do it. You can control yourself. And the whole process is that we want to encourage. And if you can really encourage children, you can encourage adults. They're challenging to you in your creativity. And also, it allows you to see a different picture. If you can picture the significance and the importance of a child before they get some place of importance or title or position, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. That you can see the significance in them. They're just not just a child. But what might that child become? What, what might that child develop into who you're pouring yourself into? Can you see the significance of the child and what they can become? If you can't see it in the child, you won't see it in the adult. And he says, humble yourself and receive this child. The child has less self-consciousness. The child doesn't see themselves as somebody important. The child doesn't see himself as somebody great. The child doesn't really see himself. But that's where you and I build them up. That they are great. They are somebody. They are somebody of value and worth. They are somebody who can control themselves. They are somebody who can respect themselves. They are somebody who can do. That we're able to build them up. 
Because the only thing the child is worried about is having fun. Not what they're going to become. But just enjoying the moment. Not what life will be five, six, seven, eight years later. And like I shared with the young man, when you go to kindergarten next year, there was a time I understood they didn't kick people out of kindergarten. But today, you get kicked out, you get expelled, and if you get expelled for 90 days, you got to repeat kindergarten. And he needed to understand that. See? He's not self-sufficient like an adult. An adult is usually self-sufficient. They can do for themselves. A child can't, so who has to do for them? You do. You have to help. And it humbles you. He said, unless you can receive one of them. And then over in Mark 9.35, he says, to see yourself last. Go over to Mark for a moment. Chapter 9. Because the issue is how you see yourself. Okay. What do you think about yourself? When I was at Tacoma Falls College, I ran the plumbing department. And uh, that's one of the ways I worked my way through school. And, and I worked part-time at Sears. And while I worked at Sears, if I sold an air condition or a hot water tank or a furnace or any big appliance, I didn't get credit for it. I had to give it to the guy who was head of that department who ran that, even though he was not there. I'm doing the selling and everything. He got the money for it, credit for it. I remember one time asking my boss, I have a lot of people come in here ask me about air conditions because I know about air conditions. <laughs> but I can't get it. And she said, no, but you get your regular pay and that's part of your job still help the individual. So I stayed with it maybe about a month longer and then I just quit. But at the school, I remember... What was David's last name? Him and his wife? Pardon? Sips. David Sips was working for me. And right there in front of Forest Hall, there's a manhole. And it was backed up. And I said, David, go ahead and jump down in there. One of us has got to jump. <laughs> you know? And I said, I've jumped in it many a times. I've jumped into the sift pool down in the middle where the little lake used to be in the back where before we got hooked up to the city line and everything. And he got down there with gloves and I told him, you can't fill it with gloves. <laughs> And I said, don't worry. Once you do it, I'm going to let you go home and get a shower. You know, and you'll get paid for your whole day. <laughs> you know. 
There are times in ministry you just what? And there it is. Because people's lives are all messed up. But if you think you're too great or you think you're somebody special, you won't. And people are looking for you to jump. People are looking for you to be in there performing and doing. And that's why Jesus brings to them the issue is about servants. And he says, coming after all others. You don't put yourself first. You put yourself after everyone else. You should be able to say to anybody, as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, follow me. I've already done these things. Now it's your turn to do them. Don't ask somebody to do something that you yourself, what? Won't do. Don't ask somebody else to jump into something you won't, what? Jump into. The whole thing about service is that you are teaching others how to jump in. And who you are expecting to keep you. That you're looking to Jesus to protect you and keep you. And you jump. Because that's part of ministry. And he says to them, that you put yourself last. And then you continue to serve as Jesus served. What does it mean when Scripture says that he stepped down into the mire clay and he lifted us? Who ministers to others is what's important. And he wants us to recognize that. Sitting down, he begins to talk to them. Greatness can break up or break people apart. In church, you can have a little group over here. You can have a little group over here. You can have a little group over here and over here, and they're all arguing about who's leading or who's doing this or who's doing that. The issue is not where are we trying to get to. The issue is about the moment, about which group is the greatest or which person is the greatest. One thing I admired about my pastor, Paul Valentine, he knew Bernster Lewis could preach and out-memorize him in verses. Bernster Lewis was just a walking Bible. The man had started Bible studies in the Philippines, in Russia, in Germany. The man was known worldwide with the home Bible study thing that he started at Stowe. Seminaries were even calling him, asking him to come speak. But the difference is with the two was this. Burns Sir Lewis understood. He was a servant of Christ, but he was not a pastor. Pastor Valentine understood he was called to be the pastor of Stowe. 
And there was never a conflict about which one was greater. And I used to sit at the table with these men, and I would admire them. Here's Stan Myers, a millionaire, Myers Industry. All these transformers that you see around here, basically, he has the patent on how to clean all those transformers or to rebuild them. Burns Sir Lewis, Sir Lewis Insurance Company, was huge at one time here in this area in Akron. Dutch Kirkhoff. I mean, I'm sitting around with men who are great, but yet just normal individuals who love to just teach God's word and pour it into the life of others. The disciples were arguing about this and it became so bad, I believe it divided them. That when they got to the house, this little group may have been over here, this little group been over here, and this little group over here, and guess what? Nobody's talking. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about on the road. What were you arguing about on the road? Now, look what follows. But they kept quiet. They had worked themselves up so much, they wasn't going to say a word. Because the moment they said something, the other one's going to jump in. If they say this, this one's going to jump in. And they just stayed quiet. Because it was going to be World War III in that house. About who was going to lead and who was going to be in power and who's going to do this. And they all just stayed quiet. Then in verse 35, he says, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve. What did he do? When we get that kind of spirit in us and that we get all uptight, it takes Jesus to call us what? Back together, refocus us, redirect us, get us back where we need to be and teach us. The question is, will we allow him to do it? Will we allow him to do it? They were all quiet. He asked them a question. They're all quiet. They didn't answer. And Jesus knew what was going on. The good part about Jesus in this, he doesn't chew them out. Because he understood this. They didn't understand the requirements for greatness in the kingdom of God. They understood greatness from a fleshly human point. They did not understand greatness as being part of the kingdom of God. And he explains that to them. He explains that to them. That it's okay to want to be first. It's okay to want to be the best. It's okay but what you don't do, you don't boast about it. You don't make yourself better or bigger than everybody else. But because you're gifted more, 
because you have more talent, because you have more ability, because you have more funds, because you have more of this. You ought to be more of the servant to everyone else. That you serve. Yes, you're first, but you have to make yourself what? Last. Last. See, one of the things I've always stopped here, and sometimes some of you ask me about it. When we have potluck, usually where am I at? (laughs) At the end of the line. Now, I've had other pastors who visit us ask, you know, don't you have a table that, no, I don't need a table. I don't need to be first served. Feed my sheep. Take care of them first. And I place myself last. That the pastor has to protect that his head doesn't get big over what he may think he is when he needs to understand he's just a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ like everyone else in a different position taking care of the sheep of the Most High God. That's all. He's just a servant. That's all. Not somebody great, but just a servant. And in that process, Jesus is the one who will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he sat down, he called the twelve. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last. Now how does that take place? You can be first, but you make yourself what? Last. You don't boast about yourself. You don't boast about your greatness. You don't boast. Remember when you used to run track and we used to talk about, boy, I smoked him. I burned him. I... Your greatness come in by not boasting about yourself, but placing yourself last. Very sudden at Bookdale, him and Virgil Brown would go at it constantly. And boy, everybody in Akron wanted to go see Sutton and, and Virgil run. And I mean, Bookto or South would be loaded with cars from all over, even newspapers be there to see these two guys run. And the first time, very sudden, he beat Virgil. But what he did, he bypassed everybody else and went over and shook Virgil's hand. But Virgil said something to him. Enjoy this one because this is the last one. (laughs) And that part was true. Virgil went out and practiced, ran with weights on, everything else, and very sudden didn't beat Virgil again. Even at the state, Virgil beat him. But he was so taken back that Barry would come and shake his hand after beating. You make yourself last. You make yourself do things that you normally wouldn't do. You make yourself to be the servant 
to everyone else. If you accept that, you accept me. And you accept me, you accept my Father who sent me. Now, I, I want to close it with this thought because he put something in here that I don't think sometimes we relate to. And we need to see it very clearly. He says, he took the little child and had him stand among them, talk, taking him in his arm. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes who? Welcomes me. Whoever serves this little child serves me. More than that, and whoever welcomes me does the welcome me, but the one who what? Sent me. You're not only recognizing me, but you're also recognizing my father. But here's the most important part, I think, of this whole thing. Because this whole little text, all three of them, really boils down to this. Service. Service. I want you to catch this picture. Here is the creator of everything. And what is he doing? Serving you and I. What we couldn't do for ourselves, he did. When we couldn't feed ourselves like the 5,000, he fed us. When we couldn't meet our own needs, he met our needs. And here's the Father who sees our needs, who sends Jesus Christ to serve. And here is now the Father and the Son both, in a sense, serving us. Serving and think of this, how great they are. And yet we never hear them say, I'm too great to serve you. I'm too great to stoop that low. I'm too great to touch you. I'm too great to allow you in my prayer. I'm too great. No, if you do this, you honor me and the Father and you're carrying out the same example that we perform unto you. We serve you. See that. See that. As great as they are, they serve us. They meet our needs. They come down to our level in a sense and walk with us and talk with us and hold us and receive us unto themselves and minister to us. Who else can minister to you sometime when you're in tears? Who else can minister to you when you're troubled in mind? Who else can give you peace? Who else sometimes can establish you when you feel like you're about ready to come unraveled and you're about ready to lose it? Who else can somewhat grab you in their arms and keep you together? And he says, if you want to be great, Simply do this. Serve. Serve others. Serve others. Don't be so much about your own interests. But have the interests of others ahead of yourself. Serve others. Serve others. Minister to others. Allow yourself 
to be what God, the Father and the Son, has been to you. A servant. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray, Father, that we can dig the golden nuggets out of it. That, Lord, if we want to be great in your sight, and if we want to be great in your kingdom and in your church, we just need to serve. We don't need to talk about what we do or how we've done it. We just need to do it. We don't even need to let the right hand sometimes know what the left hand is doing. Because what's important, Lord, you see it. And you're the one who honors us. You're the one who gives us respect. For as Peter says, if we would just humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that, Lord, you will exalt us in due time. You will lift us up. And, Lord, there's no greater honor than the words that you will say unto us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. There's no greater honor that we could ever receive than what is spoken about in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 through 3, that, Lord, we've been faithful to the task that you have assigned us to. Help us to understand, Lord, that Christian greatness is seen differently than the worldly greatness. And what we are after is not to please man, but to please you. And Lord, help us to be great in your sight. Help us, oh God, to be ministers, every one of us. We don't need the education. 